Nobody plays computer games because they're easy. People play computer games, other games, uh, because there's a smart, you know, there's an element of challenge in that. And I think learning to program, it's the same. There is an element of challenge, and it's making sure that that element of challenge remains fun and people get some sort of positive feedback that they've managed to achieve something. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. I'm talking to Dr. Andrew Robinson about the Codebug, a cute programmable light-up wearable for everyone. So Andrew is the project leader for Codebug, a director of an engineering consultancy and a part-time lecturer in Manchester, where previously he completed his PhD in low-power embedded processors. Andrew is passionate about education and engineering and can trace his enthusiasm for electronics and computers back to building a working model lighthouse aged 5. His work was also used as a prototype of the BBC Microbit that defined a new class of device. Originally kickstarted in 2015 and released in 2015, the Codebug is a fun, cute, engaging entry-level introduction to coding and physical electronics. Just visit the codebug.co.uk website, create your own program via block-based programming, then plug in the Codebug via USB to program it. That's it. No complicated setup, no downloads. If you know the BBC Microbit or similar devices, you'll recognize the shared heritage and have no problem getting started with the Codebug either. The Codebug features a micro USB socket for power and programming, two push buttons, a 5x5 LED matrix, several well-spaced crocodile clip connectors, an expansion port at the bottom, and a built-in coin cell battery holder on the back, which allows you to run it independently of the micro USB power supply. The brain of the Codebug is a microchip PIC18F processor. The first design of the Codebug had radio on board, but this was dropped at the time the technology was too expensive and wasn't mature enough. From the start, the project set out to make learning computing accessible to all, so it was important to keep costs low. Codebug, like Microbit, can also be had at about 13 euros when I checked online. Via the Codebug website, parents and teachers and students can find a lot of activities for beginner, intermediate or expert levels, so you are guaranteed to learn and have fun for a long time. So if you're curious about the Codebug, please visit kidslab.dev to check out the companion blog post, including images and all links mentioned. Again, that's kidslab.dev. So hi Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? Uh, it's great to be uh, part of the podcast. Andrew, let's get that question really out of the way before we start, or at the beginning at least. Who, who was first, Codebug or the BBC Microbit? Uh, so it was Codebug. Um, so Codebug has um, been going for, or the research behind it was been going for a few years before the BBC um, approached us. And then the BBC um, got in touch and saying they were looking for some sort of um, running workshops and things like that. So we um, presented Codebook to the BBC and we did some workshops for them and it was all um, going quite well. Uh, the BBC were a bit slow on the contract. In fact, uh, we ended up delivering workshops without them to get a contract and then um, I think it turned out that their expectations of what they wanted 
um, differed from from ours and um, as such sort of going on a year or so after that stage we um, put Codebug out on Kickstarter but we we the it, we put it out on Kickstarter at a similar time so that the BBC were launched because we wanted to be respectful of their project, even though the projects had diverged and gone different ways. Um, so that's why they both came out publicly at a similar time because we didn't want to uh, threaten the BBC project because, you know, um, it's a laudable achievement to try and get this in the hands of a million young people. But it was definitely, um, if you look at some of the um, development that happened for Codebug. I think there's the BBC bug, which looks even sim- more similar to Codebug than the microbit does these days. Very cool. So it's, I would say that uh, Codebug and, and your company influenced the BBC microbit quite a bit, actually. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the BBC acknowledged that we um, did the prototype for the BBC um, microbit. So, I mean, that's for us, that's great to be proud of, really, that it's not just the the audience that Codebook has received and the people that have learned to code with Codebook, it's also um, the other devices and also the ones that have gone on to uh, copy that. So it's really great to have inspired a whole set of devices which kind of fulfill our aims. We're not massively precious um, in terms of that. The the whole point was to try and get this out into the hands of um, everyone, really, and and get them to, to learn to code. So can you talk a little bit about the challenges in developing Codebug? I think at that point in time it was really one of a one kind of a device, right? These single board computers for education didn't quite exist to that degree. So so now um at that that time um we'd I'd been doing workshops with Raspberry Pi and we'd been doing things with with teachers and the feedback and we could see when we were doing delivering these thing this these workshops in schools that um it was a battle, really, for teachers to try and, before the lesson had begun, they needed to um, get these devices set up, flash the SD card. And in many cases, certainly in the UK, the teachers weren't specialist um, in computing, especially because we wanted to try and reach primary school age, so young children sort of from, from six upwards. So the schools didn't have the specialist computing teachers. And so using something like a Raspberry Pi, it was just practical things like, going into the IT suite and managing to plug it into the monitors because there are all sorts of policies and things like that. So we, the, the motivation really behind um, getting Codebug was to to go back to the basics. What what was the minimum? What was the common factor that people had and could use to really get started? So it, we broke it down into stages and at every stage we had to make sure that there were no barriers. So first thing is some of the other things uh, you need to download a, um, compiler so that's why we we did something which was completely on the web so you didn't have to install anything because schools have got problems with um, installing third-party software in many cases certainly in the uk so it, we knew it had to be web-based and then in terms of actually transferring it across again we didn't want to have any drivers or um, your special flashing program what people were happy with was just dragging and dropping a file from the web onto a usb disk so therefore, the device had to appear as a disk, and it was just might be a matter of dragging and dropping it across. So it also needed to be affordable uh, because uh, we wanted everyone in the class to be able to use it and also um, children to be able to afford it from pocket money. Then they could really explore um, interesting aspects of technology, and it was their device, and they could play with it, really. So you know, it didn't matter if it 
got dropped or whatever, they were, it wouldn't be a precious, precious thing. So the main challenges were meeting those engineering requirements of having to be able to flash it just and appear as a USB drive and uh, be low cost. And also, um, we had, it, it needed to be un, um, not intimidating and, and appealing. So that was the design of the cute sort of form factor of Codebook, um, that it looked friendly and it wasn't intimidating. Yeah. So how would you define the, uh, or yeah, how do we, would you describe the key challenges between the microbit and the Codebook? Is it the price then? We feel that we probably set the price in terms of these um, devices that, there are some similar price at um, point. The key difference is we Codebook is using slightly older technology because the, the development was started earlier. We're using a, a slightly um, older processor, which has different. It, it, which means it works in slightly different features. So one of the things is it our code is more efficient because we haven't got the luxury of having lots of space on the device. But that also means um, typically to flash onto the code bug just takes back a second at the most, uh, where the microbit is slower to transfer the program across. Um, we also are keen that it was a wearable, and so it had to be this compact. So we've got a um, button cell um, battery on, on the back. Um, rather than having to have a battery pack with AA batteries. Um, the other thing is uh, the legs um, have got, there's a, um, which you can crop clip things on, that's the same. But we've got a um, 2.5 millimeter um, sockets, which is the same as what you'd find on breadboards. So if you've got jumper leads, then you can plug jumper leads straight into Codebug or you can put header pins into it. Um, as such, it will actually jump. And you can put it on top of a Raspberry Pi. You can just plug it into the GPIO ports and it'll just sit on top of that. So it's easier to connect um, you know, loose wires, um, dev boards, things like that, just with um, header pins. And also the battery means that it's... Mm -hmm. That's very cool. So I, I, I didn't know that the, the pin layout is or the connection layout is compatible with the Pi. That's good to know. So there are probably extensions then that you can do in Python or something like that to program the code bug, I guess. Uh, yes. Um, also, because it's an older technology, um, it's tolerant to a wider range of voltage, so you can run codebook from either 5 volts or 3.3. Um, so it just means that's um, that's one of the, that was one of the motivations for it. So it would go on the Pi, and you could just power bits from 5 volts. Very cool. So you just mentioned this very cool feature of the code back that uh, it has a coin cell battery holder on the back, right? And so that means you can do wearable projects, for example. What what kind of cool project ideas um, did you see kids coming up based on that coin cell battery holder? One of the things we've seen children do is put it within other toys. So if they're particularly fond of a remote control car or you know, some sort of little vehicle, then they can, uh, we found that they were, they were, or a train set, they were mounting a code bug on and using it as a scrolling message display. So uh, that compact, um, tiny battery does mean that it can just slip in places where um, you wouldn't, it wouldn't do if you had two AI batteries. And obviously just wearable. So it's, it's a nice badge that you can just pin on your t-shirt or people have turned it into earrings or a necklace and it really fits within that wearable space very cool and i noticed there's um something called the code bug star 
I think these are LED lights that you can attach to the code bug. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so the, the Color Star um, uses um, a set of red, green, blue LEDs which surround and frame the star into... Um, so the code book is at the center and the, the, the points of the star have got um, these bright LEDs, which really does attract young people's attention. And we found it's a really good way to introduce concepts of loops. So where the difference between a while loop or a for loop um, might be a bit dry just in theory, when you've got a color star and when you've got a set of um, eight LEDs, then you can say for each LED, you then set the color to this and then challenge the, the students to, to either have a chase or getting them all changing at the same color, same time. And really to, to work those things out, they have to think about the loop structure and how how they're going to structure it and how they're going to make sure that it, well, if they want a delay, do you put a delay in between each loop iteration or do you just put it in once a loop or do you nest the loop? So really it brings quite advanced programming concepts to youngsters and they don't realize that they're doing the advanced programming because for their purposes they just want to to make a fun color pattern with this color star yeah i noticed from my also from my own workshops that these leds and colors always attract kids right they're totally crazy about it yes and you'll also find that one person will work out how to do a particular thing and then it's sort of the idea flows around the workshop as other people see it and think, I want to build something like that. Cool. So now you're already talking about kids learning to code now. And I noticed that on your website, there's a curriculum section uh, that outlines the English computing curriculum, I believe. So how does, um, in your opinion, how does a good computing education look like and how does the code book enable this curriculum here? A good computing curriculum should not deliver specific skills so it shouldn't be this is a course on how to use microsoft word or this is a course on how to be a particular games programming i think a good curriculum should deliver the skills which can then be um, applied because let's face it you know computing in in four years time or so potentially everything is completely different because there's a new set of operating systems new programs new languages appearing you know it's the thing which makes computing fun and interesting is because you you almost relearn everything every few years. I say relearn everything. That's not true. Yeah, the course stays the same. But there's there's new tools. There's new ways of doing things every free, through every few years. So therefore, a good computing curriculum needs to give people the skills to continually continue to learn. Because other than that, you'll just give them a skill where they can use the program which is in front of them, and then when they maybe you know two years later get a job they'll not be able to use that because it's a different thing. So it really should have the general skills. And as such, I think it's actually quite good in terms of the, the UK um, curriculum because it talks about the key elements within programming. So you might have you know, branching in, in loops, uh, sorry, branching in conditionals, or you might have loops. And those basic structures, which you'll find in every language, rather than specifying that you know everyone should learn to program in um, you know, JavaScript or Python, that it should be up to, to people to learn in whatever they feel, whatever's accessible to them at the time. And also, they should then be able to translate what they've done in that particular language to another language if necessary in a few years' time. So do you think for coding and for kids coding that visual coding is actually enough because that teaches the, the, the logic of coding, uh, but not necessarily the syntax, right? Which Which is probably outdated in a couple of years anyway. Yes, I think um, 
the thing we found is that with the visual coding, the, the thing which makes it a really powerful tool is it's very difficult to make syntax errors that every program on the Codebug website that people can assemble with blocks will run. It might not do the right thing, but it will definitely work as opposed to if you were typing it and you've missed out a full stop somewhere, it'll just say, you know, syntax are on line four. And that doesn't doesn't really help when you learn to program because you've got your idea of what it needs to do. It needs to do this, this, and this. And really the syntax is a thing which gets in the way. So the visual coding certain gets is another thing that gets rid of that barrier of you know, what I'd call annoying. You, know, it, you, you kind of, you knew what you wanted to do, but you just made some sort of gram- the equivalent of a grammatical error. So um, block coding does get rid of that in the first stages, but I think it is important then that once people have worked out, right, this is how I structure a block, they then want to express themselves as quickly as possible. And clicking and dragging isn't necessarily as quick as as typing the words in and things like that. So I do think it's a progression. And I think it's... um, with the Codebook website, one of the things we put in early stage was a function so you could see, you could compare the two. So that as you are beginning to learn um, programming using text language, you can see how the blocks translate to that. Now, it's not an exact one-to-one mapping because, again, the blocks are a lot simpler than the text, and that was a deliberate choice that it is. We make it easy, but we don't want to make it too easy. So we want to um, make it an easy introduction with the blocks and then as you transition to, to text and you're ready for a bit more, there's that challenge that you can still, um, it's it's a reasonable challenge. And I think that's the big thing with, with learning to program and learning anything really. You've got to have that feedback that says, I'm making progress, I'm I'm, I'm doing it. And it's, it's that right level of difficulty. Nobody plays computer games because they're easy. People play computer games, other games, uh, because there's a smart, you know, there's an element of challenge in that. And I think learning to program, it's the same. There is an element of challenge, and it's making sure that that element of challenge remains fun and people get some sort of positive feedback that they've managed to achieve something. And so I think with the visual coding to start with, then they get that feedback to say, look, I've got something working a lot sooner than if they were just writing code and there's options for when they're writing code for it just to to end in tears, really. So it's a starting point, and I think it's, it's good almost to to give people that confidence to move on to text later but um i don't think that i mean it's just it's valid but i don't think from an industrial point of view you know from proper coding visual coding is as efficient as typing and therefore i I think everyone should move on to uh text-based programming languages so do you have some practical advice for parents or teachers to get their kids in the classroom or at home started with the code book one of the things i did hear somebody say was you know best thing parents can do is get out of the way you know get, you know let the children just get on with it so i think it's really about giving people that like giving youngsters opportunities uh and not being frightened to experiment and play together i think also parents almost have that need to have that confidence to say that when sometimes you know the child might ask how do i do this to say well, I don't know, but shall we learn together? So really, I think it's that the practical advice for parents, I'd say, would be, even though it's probably scary for them as well, is to learn with the children. And let's say, right, we might not necessarily know, you know, how all this is going to work. Um, that's one of the things I've always felt in terms of when I'm doing 
industrial projects. Um, not that you necessarily say that to the client, but um, that you say, you know, sort of, well, how hard can it be? It's all engineering, you know, habits of mind, break things down and just solve little problems and eventually you get there. So I'd say apply that same methodology to parents in terms of they might not necessarily know the answer just at the moment, but well, never mind, let's, you know, go out on a journey and, and learn together and, and not be frightened of failure. Yeah, I agree. So with the global Corona crisis right now, um, a lot of parents find themselves in a situation that they have to school their kids at home. And I was wondering if you're providing some some homeschooling um, advice or even tutorials uh, for the Codebug. Uh, one of the things we were very aware of is that edu computer education in different places uh, has an emphasis on different things. And also everyone that I know that has got into computing and done it to quite a high level has gone off and then been able to explore things in depth themselves. So right from the start, we had to, we wanted to make resources available for teachers to deliver it in a class setting and also for enthusiastic young people or anybody else to go off and, and be self-sufficient and be able to, to progress on their own. So as such, we've, Codebook has always been structured around you can have set lessons, set activities that you go through in, in class, as it were, but then also people can take, because it's a low-cost cost device, take the Codebook home, still carry on using the same website, um, and also so, so to promote, promote that, there's a whole set of activities, tutorials at different levels uh, which guide people through um, not just the coding, but also the electronics and the craft um, elements. So if they want to make a badge, then they can um, you know, attach bits of felt and things like that. So it's got the full set to make fun um, products, uh, fun, fun activities, which stand alone. So that's where it was. You know, that was always the vision. And then, like you say, with Corona and with homeschooling, we're seeing a lot more um, parents um, doing that and what's what's really nice actually is um some of the projects that people share um uh, they're now sharing we, we see more more um projects which might say you know thank you mummy or i love you mummy or and it's clearly fairly young children doing things with the parents at home and that's really just nice to see um when, it, when they share those sort of projects so as we're seeing that we've we've also um in the next few um, you know, over the period of, of the the, um, the homeschooling, uh, we'll roll out more activities, and we've got some um, experimental new features that we want to uh, share just to really support people. And all the time, it's the development of Codebook has been a two way process that we listen and we we observe and we see what goes on, and then we we see if there's um, anything else that we can add to the platform that makes um, it easier and maybe solves one or two. Um, things which might be cropping up and, and, and really help people just learn. All the time it's been about getting rid of barriers and any time we see a barrier or the hint of a barrier, then what can we do to overcome it? So how do you see STEAM education and computing education evolve in general? Um, so do you see some challenges or, or maybe also chances for the future? I think computing education went through maybe in the late 90s a, a dip, you could say, um, and... A lot of 
credit has got to go to Raspberry Pi for really kickstarting it and getting it back on the agenda and, and doing things, uh, building a community uh, over the last uh, five years or so. So I think it's in a healthy position at the moment. I think it, it needs to continue to, to grow and evolve. And um, as it's, you know, we've, we've learned as a community how we can make it more accessible to maybe non-specialists, I think that will continue. I think also um, with the growth of IoT and connected devices, uh, then I think there's going to be opportunities in the future for aspects where it's not just about programming a single device, it's about distributed programming and there's a whole set of um, difficult problems to solve which um, we need young people to be playing with really because that's how people learn. So can you share something that's coming up of CodeBug or anything else that you always wanted to share? So um, there's going to be some exciting uh, new developments um, we've got planned. Like we say, we, we've got some more um, support for some delivering tutorials in a more interactive manner. Uh, we've also been working on a, an interactive coding um, system. Um, so that uh, will be coming out soon. That's, a, again, a, as a um, result of observing how remote teaching either works or what we can do to, to fix that. Um, and then we'll, we've got a whole range of new exciting things that you can do with Codebook and attach to Codebook. We see that's a very much um, an interesting thing because you can share, you can, you can, one of the things we see is that computing really transforms people's lives in, in a whole variety of different ways. And it gets more interesting when it gets applied to a practical problem, or certainly that's what I think. So we want to link that in with all sorts of um, different, um, maybe environmental aspects or, you know, in terms of air quality, things like that. And then that way, what matters to people, um, probably, you know, healthcare monitoring. Um, we've got a um, breathing monitoring system that you can use with Codebook. That's that's one of the new things that we've come out, and that's come out of the corona crisis. Um so all sorts of new ways to connect computing to everyday life. Very cool. So it's got some some exciting content is coming up, right? And great great um, ideas for teachers also for the classroom, I guess. Exciting content, new techn technological features, and some new hardware. So, Andrew, thank you so much for this interview. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, all the best for the future. Let's hope that Corona is over soon. Uh, yes, absolutely. Good to talk. In this episode, we explore the code bug with its project leader, Dr. Andrew Robinson. I hope you enjoyed finding out more about this tiny little coding bug that can be very fun for kids to explore. A final reminder to check out kidslab.dev for the show notes, including all links. And of course, subscribe to Kidslab Podcast if you haven't done so. Next up, we'll explore how computer programming can actually help to understand and learn math with Kristen Reed and Paul Goldenberg from Education Development Center in Boston, Massachusetts, USA.